Welcome to What's So Funny, a comedy podcast where we talk about some of the most influential and controversial comedians from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh. Here's your host, Dave Swanson. Hi, welcome back to What's So Funny. I'm Dave Schwenson, and today we're going to talk about one of my favorite comedy teams. And I'm going to have my favorite comedy team talking with me about this, Kelly Thulis and Tom McGallis. How are oh, you guys? Hello. 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 Yeah. That's, that is guess Kelly. Guess which one is Kelly, so nice. and guess which one is Tom. Oh, you'll never guess. <laughs> you know what, though? <laughs> Wait a minute, though. Kelly could be a guy's name. And Tommy could be a girl's name. It's true. Okay, it's now true. that you completely messed up everyone, including me, <laughs> we better do this individually. Hello, Kelly. How are you today? Oh, hello, Dave. It's good to good to hear from you. Well, it's good to be heard. Thank you. <laughs> and Tom, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I mean, if Kelly is here, I'm gonna just tag along. I just I have I wasn't really invited. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. I wondered how you got on this, but yeah. I didn't. I didn't want to pursue that. Uh, I'm so sorry, Dave. I don't know how he got in here. <laughs> oh, I take right. care of her cat. I take care of her cat. That's all right. right. Well, I've had enough of this comedy team because I'm ready to move on and talk about the comedy team that's going to be the subject of our show Ooh. today, and that is. The Smothers Brothers. Juicy. This is a oh juicy boy. one. Yeah. Tom and Dick Smothers. The Smothers Brothers. Pioneers. Pioneers in some ways. Yeah. yeah can we say that? Yeah, you can say that. You know, they're legend. I, I really want to emphasize, too, how important they are to the comedy industry. A lot of people may not realize that. I have found some of the younger comedians today are not that familiar with the Smothers Brothers, and I'm kind of shocked by that. Uh, I have another revelation to share with you that might shock you, Dave. What? I am one of those comedians. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah, you know what? And I, I had heard of them through, I mean, so many things. So many so many of the greats have referenced them as either inspirations or actual job references. I mean, so many of the comedians we've talked about on the show even had worked on their shows, the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. I mean, they've really been in so much of the fabric of so many of the comedians we talk about on this show and, and comedians yes. that I'm fans of. But I had, ne like, embarrassingly now, now that I've done my research, I, I've never gone back and actually watched any of their material until now. And it's, I cannot believe what I've been missing. It's a pretty cool style, isn't it, Kelly? I mean, what oh, they did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, they were so important, like I said, about what, uh, matter of fact, for comedians today, they should know who they are because uh, they were such an influence. But the reason I think a lot of the younger comedians, Kelly, may not be as familiar with them because after they were fired from network television, they kind of disappeared for a while. They kind of lost their popularity, actually stopped performing for a while, and never carried on. But for the late 1960s, they were the top of the heap. They were right up there. We're talking about freedom of speech, what you can say. They were groundbreakers. I mean, just as important as George Carlin, Dick Gregory, and some of these others. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Tom and Dick Smothers. When I work with the young comedians in my workshops, and my books, and everything, I talk to young comedians, I say, I've never heard... I don't know anyone that's ever been an overnight success, okay? The comedians I've talked with, worked with, they've all taken years <laughs> to come through open mics and opening acts and feed, build themselves up. I really look at the Smothers Brothers as kind of an overnight success. Mm. They hit it big immediately 
within a couple of years. They were in the club, right? And they were uh, seen in the clubs working. Their music comedy act, which is kind of weird. And I think, Kelly, this is probably what would throw a lot of younger people that you would think, oh, they're musicians. And they kind of were musicians slash comedians. It was, it was a weird combination for sure. They started out as folk singers. I mean, that's the thing. Bring one back to like 1959, okay? I mean, you got to go back into your music history books of people like Bob Dylan and, you know, they were all copying Pete Woody Seeger. Godley, Pete Seeger, yes. They were all, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Folk singers were the big happening fad at that mm -hmm. time. And Tom and Dick Smothers were part of a folk singing trio or quintet, whatever it was, up, uh, they were college students up at San Jose, up in Northern California. So they were up in San Francisco playing the folk music clubs, singing. And they weren't bad. I mean, they were right in the mix of sounding pretty good. You know, from what I heard early on, this, they sounded as good as anybody. Well, like the Four Freshmen, the Kingston Trio, if anyone's, you know, familiar with that type of music, that's what they were doing. One of their partners or two of the partners in the group left. Tom and Dick were just the two of them. Tommy played guitar. Dick played the stand-up bass. So they continued with their folk music career, but they started talking. They would come out on stage and they would start riffing on maybe what was going on in the news, what was going on in San Francisco, what was going on in the club. And it turned out they were pretty funny. They had this brotherly sense of humor. They knew how to work together. And it happened very fast. I guess that was what was really popping. I mean, when you see them on their TV show, which I think is their pivotal work, when you finally see their show, that style developed where, you know, Tommy was this kind of goofy guy and Dickie was the straight guy. And you could see that it, it probably was popping in the clubs. Yeah. What's their first album? Was that two, both sides of the Smothers Brothers? Uh, yeah, two sides. Two yeah. sides. Because you listen at the first side is really a comedy album. The second side is music, folk songs, and they're harmonizing mm -hmm. and they're very good at what they do. But what set them apart, what made them famous was their comedy. Yeah, it's uh, the two sides of the Smothers Brothers. And that album is two sides, literally. Now, right? I think their their first album, and again, I come at this from someone who's just been doing research, not someone who actually really knows too much <laughs> Yeah, about talk them. from experience, Kelly. Take us back. Uh, yeah, it was, so I think their first, their, al their album, The Smothers Brothers at the Purple Onion in 1961 was technically You're their correct. first album. That's right. and I think it was just a, a live performance. Just it, it was their first professional performance, I believe, was there in 59, and then they recorded an album there in 61. And so that's sort of their first album. But then I think the one that everyone really knows and associates them is the one that you're talking about, and the kind of anchor of this episode of our podcast. It's the two sides of the Smothers Brothers in 1962. Can I give you a little inside information about the Smothers Brothers' first yeah, album please. recorded live at the Hungry Eye? It wasn't really recorded there. Oh, man. What? <laughs> they did this record scandal. it. They recorded there, but it didn't turn out that well. It didn't sound that good, the acoustics or something. So they went on and recorded that album at a different club. And i sorry, I don't know where it is. I used to know this, maybe in Texas, maybe in Arizona, something like that. But they called it live at the Hungry Eye out of gratitude for the Hungry Eye for giving them their break. They wanted to give them some kind of shout out. And that's what they did. I think maybe the opening track might have been recorded there, but the other ones, the tracks were recorded in different clubs. So oh, how about man. that? Little scoop. That is good little scoop there because <laughs> it could have been something like, well, we just forgot to turn the mics on. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was early technology. <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know, it, it was one of their first performances as a duo. And it was released as an album, you know, a major mm -hmm. record company. I can't remember who they signed with. And it sold. 
it sold. And the Smothers Brothers really hadn't been doing it that long. And they were all of a sudden stars. They, oh, I think they appeared on the Jack Parr show. You know, there's this great, there's this great line that Jack Parr said after after they played on his show. He he joked with them. He said, I don't know what you guys have, but no one's gonna steal it. <laughs> it was such a <laughs> unique act that they were doing. They really considered themselves, I think, musicians, almost like jazz musicians. They could they could play off each other. They get a feeling. He's he said there was the act was structured. You know, they had background musicians with them. They always had a piano player who was like another straight man. And mm-hmm. sometimes they had a trio with them. And they would all kind of work off. And Tommy said he would have the, they would all be coming after him because he was playing the dumb character. So he had all these different straight men. He said they had a structure, but they could riff like jazz musicians. They get in a feeling, they get in a flow of something, and they went with it. And so that's what was so fun about seeing them. Because honestly, with the Smothers Brothers, you never really knew what they were going to say. I think one of the interviews... Tommy said they, they got a, their own sitcom. I don't know if anyone remembers that. I don't even know if there are any clips of that. I've seen clips of the I past. definitely don't remember that. No. Okay. I, <laughs> no, I don't think you no. would. It was back in 1965, I think. I didn't even know they had a show before the, their, yeah. their Smothers Brothers show. Yeah, the Smothers, this was the Smothers Brothers show, I think it was called. It was a sitcom. And this is before 67. This is in 65. Oh, yeah, this is 1965. And they'd oh, only been, like, think about it. Their first album came out in 59. They did the Jack Parr Tonight Show, I think, about 1960. This is all happening. In 1965, they're handed a sitcom, but they took away their comedy tools because, you know, they were musicians. Mm. And, and so, you know, they didn't have the bass with them. They didn't have, Tommy didn't have his guitar. And if I remember correctly, Tommy played an angel. Oh, that's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy business there, man. It's TV getting in the way. Dickie was trying to lead a regular, like a sitcom family life, and his brother Tom or something was an angel came down, and Dickie was the only one who could see him. It sounded like a real mess. It just sounded like a mess. I know after that, that's when Tommy, Tom's mother's really became, I don't want to call him a control freak, but yes, he was. He was not going to give control over their act to anyone else ever again after that. I know Dickie said that the, the, the comedy and the show and the act was everything to, to Tommy. But Dickie said, for me, it was just one little part. I had a life. I had a family. I had other things. And it was not everything to me. Yeah, I think so that Tom, was the big for difference. For Tommy, it was like everything. He was, he was a control freak. And it went on to kind of uh, be the demise a little bit of... Of the show at the end. Of their entire career, really. Of their entire career, yeah, you would think. But yeah, after their um, short-lived sitcom, it was on for one season, it got canceled, I think it was 1966. So really the next year, 1967, is when they had their next offer, and that was the very famous Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Well, you know what's really, it's it's interesting. Have you guys seen the, um, there's a great documentary out called Smothered, and it's all about the Smothers Brothers versus the censors. Oh my gosh, it's so interesting. Cool documentary. yeah. Well, they um, it is it really gets into the show. Well, they they brought on some of the CBS executives at the time on the documentary, and they said that the reason that they even had the show is because Bonanza was just such a hit, and it was so they were up against them in the time slot, and they just needed anything to fill that time slot, and they knew they didn't yeah, have enough Sunday time nights. to put together. Yeah, they didn't have enough time to put together like a a narrative show, so they knew they needed to go with something cheap, like a sketch show or a variety show. And they liked the Smothers Brothers because they had such that clean-cut, wholesome look. Oops. And Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> they didn't do their research, I guess, on their personalities, but they liked their look of them. 
they said at the time it was this time of just like fantasy shows, which which goes into what their sitcom Escapism. was a little bit too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was Bonanza, it was Bewitched, it was Beverly Hillbillies, mm-hmm. My Favorite Martian. Come on, oh, they had all these yeah. shows, and here was here was Tommy Smothers playing an angel. Right, <laughs> to, yeah. To Dick. <laughs> they were all escapism shows. If you look back again, you got to go through history <laughs> to look back at this stuff and. The other variety shows they had in 1967, what are we talking about? These old guys wearing tuxedos and smoking cigarettes and having a drink. We're talking about Dean Martin, you know, Rudy Valley. We talked about him in an earlier show. You know, he was from the 30s. He sang through a, mic- a megaphone. They were the older generation. And then here you got these two guys, the Smothers Brothers. Now they're the same age as like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Who. Nobody at that time, that age, had a show like that. So they put these guys on and it just... Wow. I mean, the younger generation all of a sudden had a show to watch. Rob Reiner talks about in that documentary that, Kelly, you were referencing, how it was, uh, I think it was Rob Reiner, who worked as a writer, said it was a show about now instead of a show about the past or yeah, something. Or yeah. It was, so that's it was great. dealing yes. with it right now, what was happening in our world. And it made CBS nervous. <laughs> and we, we got to remember, this is a decade before SNL came out. You know, I mean, this is even this is even at the kind of start of Second City. That theater was just sort of getting started in Toronto around the same time. I mean, there just wasn't this voice for that generation yet. It had not been established. That's why the Smothers Brothers are so important. The now idea is very much current thinking. Like, now we like stuff that's about now, right now. You know, you have an idea, you put it on your iPhone. You know, the Smothers Brothers were doing these shows one a week. Mm-hmm. It was really pretty current, pretty right, pretty right in your face. When they started the show, I mean, this is the whole thing about the Smothers Brothers. They played the game at first to make sure they got on the air. So their original writers, we're talking about all these great writers they had, these young guys, Rob Reiner, Steve Martin, John Hartford, Mason Williams, who else? Super Dave, Bob Einstein. Super Dave, Bob Einstein. Okay, those were the writers. They may not have been there in the very beginning, I don't think. They were more of the—they brought in these older guys in the beginning to pacify CBS— so they had the young writers in the room who hated the old writers. I remember reading this. I read a book on the Smothers Brothers TV show a long time ago. And they also brought on older acts in the beginning. I think I remember reading, like, they had, like, on one show, they might have had someone like Martha Ray, or they might have had— I think Jack Benny was on the show. Weren't some of the older even yes. comics that, that anointed it and said, hey, this is cool young stuff? <laughs> yeah. Bob Hope. You know, they brought yeah. in the ones to get George the older Burns. audiences. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And they played very family-oriented stuff. It was, 
again, the days when the whole family sat around and watched the, you because know, they'd watch the Ed Sullivan show. That was on Sunday night. Then they'd all watch Bonanza. Those were safe <laughs> shows for kids to watch with their parents. And the Smothers Brothers started out that way to get an audience. But then... I think they said about, I think they said about the 10th show, they started shaking it up. Well, they started talking about politics. Their political views, they were anti-war. And making it funny, which nobody, nobody had seen, especially not on television, just talking about these political issues and making it funny. I mean, that's... Racism. There was a couple bits about this uh, Irish folk song bit. Oh, yeah. they did. Remember that? <laughs> right, and it yeah. was like, well, why aren't there, uh, you know, black people and, and Jewish people Names and Greeks? That, you know. <laughs> why? And the, he's like, because it's an Irish song, Tommy. It's an Irish song. And he goes, well, it seems kind of racist to me. You know, it was pretty good. I mean, that was kind yeah. of pointing it out. And then they added a bunch of, you know, Greek and Croatian and uh, Jewish names at the back end. <laughs> Everything that was going on in the late 60s, like you're talking about, Tom, you know, about racism and just the drug culture. and The and, drug yeah. culture, the Vietnam War was raging at that time. And the country was divided. I mean, big time. And, and also, you know, Lyndon Johnson was the president. Richard Nixon would be the next one. He was running for president. And both those presidents, from what I understand, called CBS to get the Smothers Brothers off the air. That's yeah, which awesome. is wild. It's so hard to think about it in today's lens. I mean, now every comedian is making jokes about the president. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just... And he's still trying to get him off the air, too. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it's just a constant... Like, political jokes are just weaved into our fabric now, right? Like, we just are always seeing that sort of content. But back then, it was just revolutionary. Right. They had this great joke where uh, Tom says, okay, so you know, you can always tell who's running the country by the clothes people wear. And he's like, you mean some people can afford more clothes and others can have less? And he goes, yes, ordinary people have less on. And he goes, well, who's running the country? And he goes, the morons. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just blatantly calling the leadership of the country at the time morons. And I mean, it was fantastic and just completely nothing like anyone had seen. Remember the Pete Seeger thing? They, they were not going to let it, that on the air. People may not know who Pete Seeger was. Now, he was another big folk protest musician back in the, what, the 40s and the 50s, before Bob Dylan. He was before Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was known as a protest singer in mm -hmm. the 60s. Pete Seeger was before. And he was banned from television, I think, in the 50s. They said they had enough of what he was singing anti-government. So he yeah. didn't have any television appearances for like 10 years. And then the Smothers Brothers brought him on, to, and he sang an anti-Vietnam War song. Did they, and I think they cut that bit, didn't they? They, they cut, cut it, and then Tommy Smothers brought him back and had him do it again. And I think he got it on the second time. And it was about the, you know, he, he was inspired from seeing the, the, you know, our soldiers. Well, it was like waist deep in the big muddy or something like that. And that was the lyric, waist deep in the big muddy. And Vietnam War was the first one to be brought into people's households. It's the first one to be televised. Vietnam War was the first one televised on the evening news. Five, six o'clock at night, people sat down and they were showing that day in Vietnam. So that's okay. And then, so you can't blame the Smothers Brothers for no, going, well, but the wait Smothers, a minute. But like, like yeah. Kelly just said, we had, let's get back to I Dream of Jeannie. Let's go back to yeah. Bewitched. You know, yeah. the Smothers Brothers were addressing this. Matter of fact, I can't remember who the person was on the show, but they wanted to show film of Vietnam in the background while they sang a song. Oh, or it was Harry Belafonte. Harry, Harry Belafonte, Belafonte, that's right. Yeah. And see, and, that's and very he good was one, part Kelly. of Yeah, that's good. I'm impressed, Kelly. <laughs> and CBS banned it. And I'll tell you what else was really lousy, if you read this too. They cut that from the show, and instead of showing it, they showed a five-minute political commercial for Richard Nixon. That's really just oh, rubbing wow. it right oh, in the, the smoke. Oh, yeah. 
that just oh rubbed God. it right in their faces. So it, it was a war between CBS and the Smothers Brothers. And Tommy, Tommy loved it, man. I think it was uh, David Steinberg said Tommy loved going after him. He liked fighting him. He had a lot of fight in him, man. And he just liked going up against CBS and pushing him. Yeah, but it burned him out. Well, it clearly did because they, they were done. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about David Steinberg in another show, but, man, he was a big part of what, why that went down. <laughs> yeah, I think he was <laughs> the know? reason, I think, yeah. they got canceled. I mean, not yeah. canceled. They were fired. His sermon. His yes. sermons. <laughs> he would do these religious sermons, and they told him he's not, they're not allowed to have him on to do it again. That's it. And so they said, okay. So they invited him back on. And while they were filming it, Tommy goes, hey, David, would you like to do a sermon for us? He goes, sure. (laughs) And he did it. And they sent the tape out to the affiliates or something. And no, CBS pulled it all back. And that that episode was never shown. That episode was never shown. They had to deliver the tapes to CBS in New York to okay it. And Tommy didn't do it. He didn't send it. One time he didn't. And that was finally their out. Mm -hmm. And that was it, right? Yeah, that's what they used that in the contract to fire them. He said, I think the guy, who was it? Somebody at CBS said, we got him. That's all they needed. All the affiliates got it, and they got to make their own choice if they were going to air it or not, or what they were going to cut out and what they were going to leave in, which horrified Tommy Smothers. He's like, And he held it back. He was up in San Francisco. He held it back. I have the tape with me in San Francisco. Oops. (laughs) But he he used to turn in scripts to the censors with swear words in it. So they would get so involved canceling out the swear words, they couldn't understand what he was really trying to say. You know, oh, man, decoys, decoys. Yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. Wow. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was just a major, major war with him. The thing is, too, they brought the counterculture, whatever you call it, to prime time. They're the first ones, not Saturday Night Live, not Second City, the Smothers Brothers. I mean, the, you're sitting in your living room, you're watching like The Who. Okay, they, they were never on TV like that. And the Buffalo Springfield and, and uh, the Jefferson Airplane and all these bands that were San Francisco, and this is the 60s, and, and the writers, like you mentioned, all of them before. Steve Martin was one of your writers. And they would come out and do bits. They would do bits. You know, on his show, was the, you could see the, the beginnings of Steve Martin, his, like, little magic act, uh, which was, like, you know, it was, it was just funny, silly, ridiculous, a little surreal. And it, you could see Steve Martin, 1968, emerging, and it was it was pretty cool, but they uh, what they, they tried to get him on breach of contract, it, I, or they were trying to get the, the when they went to court, the Smothers Brothers were like, "Hey, you breached your contract." Well, they and, sued. Uh, they, Tommy sued, and they, and they won. They I think won. They got some money. Yeah, he so, won. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And they got the, an Emmy after they after they were canceled. They get an Emmy. That's <laughs> yes. awesome. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, here's that's the other thing too about the Emmy. You know, Tommy Smothers was part of that. Right? He was like the head writer, Tommy Smothers. Okay, with all these writers we talked about, he took his name out of the running, so his name was not on the Emmy nominated list because he didn't want people, the networks, the censors, to hold it against the writers because he felt they deserved it. So they, when they won the Emmy, Tommy never got one, and oh, it wasn't until wow. probably forty years later, thirty years later, they did a special Emmy thing, and I think Steve Martin presented Tommy Smothers with his Emmy. You know, oh, 40 wow. years after That's the show cool. was canceled. Yeah. Very cool. This is how big the Smothers Brothers had gotten. In 1968, the Beatles sent their promotional clips. Hey Jude and Revolution debuted on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Well, I know that um, John Lennon was a huge fan of the Smothers Brothers. Tommy Smothers plays guitar and sings on Give Peace a Chance with John and Yoko. Tommy Smothers is part of that that's, recording. That's awesome, man. They were doing a bed in, and Tommy, you can see the clips. I mean, Tommy Smothers sitting on a bed with John and Yoko, and there's others there too, a bunch of people, big chorus, singing Give Peace a Chance. He was part of the, the counterculture. He I was. Mean, if, if you think of it, 
this was a show that was on the air that became part of the fabric of the of the new young movement in this counterculture and it's uh and that's why he was embraced and beloved by Lenin and other people that were doing the same thing war is ugly give peace a chance and through comedy they were peeling it back going look at how ugly this war is hey and guess what guys there's nothing wrong with drugs we're talking about roaches in this you think we're talking about roaches <laughs> in your house <laughs> They're hugely important, but to your point, Dave, maybe that's maybe, maybe that was it. They burned out, man. Well, no, I know what happened. I'm, honestly, I've I've talked to you Tommy talked Smothers. to them four yes. times. You know, <laughs> yes. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I'm friends with this mother's brother at all. I interviewed Tommy for my book, How to Be a Working Comic. I interviewed well, Dickie that, for another awesome. thing, and, and I've seen him a few times in concert, and that's I've amazing. actually gone backstage and hung out. But you know, the thing is, Tommy told me this. They fought the the higher ups. I fought the law and the law won kind of thing. CBS won that fight and they got fired and they lost their national platform. I'm not lying when I say they're just as important in free speech as George Carlin and Dick Gregory and I, you know, some other names will come to me, of course, after we finish the show. That's how important they were at that time. However, they lost their national platform. They didn't have it after that. They lost their television show and they were pretty much blackballed by the the big corporate people. They didn't, the Smothers Brothers were dangerous. You don't want them, hire them. They'll say something wrong. And Tommy also told me, though, I said, well, you know, what happened? I asked about him and his brother, Dick. I said, I heard you guys didn't get along. I heard you guys were fighting a lot, you know? Matter of fact, when I did meet them, I met them separately. <laughs> they wouldn't come in the same room with each other. But I, that could be something else. Maybe they were eating dinner or something. I have no idea. I don't yeah, remember maybe. that. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but, but the thing is, you know, I said, uh, you know, what happened? Because you guys, they didn't perform for like three or four years. Well, he said they were blackballed, but he said also the problem was he got so involved fighting the censorship, fighting CBS, fighting these, you know, anti-fighting everybody. He yeah. said, he said, I forgot how to be funny. Yeah. He blamed like himself Bruce. totally. Like Lenny mm-hmm. Bruce. Yeah. He said, I, I just, he said, I wasn't funny anymore. He said, Dick went back and did, had his life and everything. Cause Tommy said, I just couldn't be funny anymore. I'm not funny. He took it. And he said, he took it too seriously. He really should not. He looks back on it, you know, when I talked to him, he was looking back on it 40 years ago saying, I should not have been as annoying as I was. Interesting. He was a real pain and he knew it. He was suing everybody and he was just a whatever. But he said he wasn't funny. I had heard the same thing in an interview that I did not conduct with the Smothers Brothers. <laughs> you can read <laughs> I'm mine. Like Dave, I'm not nearly as lucky as that. But that was in that documentary. They, they talked about how they had said, like, look, like, Tom, you've, you've got to start, you know, focusing on your own performance again in the show. They, they, you know, the writers, they, they had said like you're, you're losing your performance. Um, Dick especially, he was like, look, you got to start thinking about it because you're all you're doing is fighting the censorships. All you're doing is is battling the executives. I mean, like we mentioned before, the actual president of the United States was like attacking them. I mean, they had everybody after them. At that point, he just lost. How to be funny, like you said, Dave. He started doing political rants on the show that that just lost their their comedy because they always had these sort of ranting, but but they were funny and and they had lost the the humor in yeah, it. Yeah, but he wasn't even doing that on stage anymore. They stopped performing. Everyone thought the Smothers Brothers had broken up, mm-hmm. and he was just filing lawsuits against oh, CBS yeah. and giving interviews about how wrong this was and talking about free speech and censorship. And that was mm-hmm. his life. And he finally had to. But then they eventually they went back out on the road. They started getting some more recognition. You know, they won a couple of awards. I don't have those listed in front of me, but they were like for free speech and George Carlin awards, things like that. They were starting to get recognized for how important they were to the comedy industry. The few times they've gotten together since they retired, what we say? 
Tom, we said like 2010, we thought they retired. 2010, looks like they, yeah, called it a day, May 16th, 2010. That was the end of it. After 51 years, 51 years. But like the National Comedy Center up in uh, Jamestown, New York, I know they were up there not too long ago, within the last year or two. Yeah, uh, 19, th- I think, yeah. They're sitting there together and they're being interviewed. They're talking about their career and everything. And they're donating, like they're, they used to be known for their red blazers they would wear. They gave those to the exhibits and their bass and their guitar. And a lot, oh, I think a lot of their papers, a lot of their comedy material, notes like that. Nobody did what they did on television. And again, they deserve so much credit for you know, fighting censorship, you know, mm-hmm. free speech, all those things that comedians really believe in, that generation of the Smothers Brothers. If something's not right, you want to speak about it. And that's what they did. And, you know, that's a big thing to fight, not to be censored. And also in that documentary, I remember a line, I can't remember which writer it was, but it was really a brilliant line of, once censorship starts to seep in, then you think about it when you're creating. And once you start censoring yourself, it's sad and dreadful and you're doomed. As creative people, the last thing you should be thinking about when you're creating something, whether you're comedy or art or music or film, is, hey, you know, am I going to get something for this? Am I? You shouldn't have that in, in your mind. Okay, to end this episode, I probably shouldn't do this, but I, I did reach over my book. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did interview Tommy, and I'm like, okay, I want to read. He did tell me a joke. And it's the perfect of how the Smothers Brothers worked, okay? And it's like, it's a conversation between Tommy and Dick. Tommy says, take that back. Okay, because they're always insulting each other. And Dick says no. And Tommy said, well, here's 50 bucks to apologize. And Dick says, that's disgusting. That's a bribe. And what's Tommy say? No, it's not. It's a contribution. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the joke that Tommy gave me. (laughs) And and it's true. That kind of sums up how they felt about the politics and what was going on in Washington and everywhere else. And it's so relevant and funny still today. I mean, that's what's so great about them. I didn't know very much about them, and I was just absolutely surprised by how it's still timely and, and funny their content is. Well, Kelly, that just makes this whole episode that much more relevant. <laughs> yes. yes. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to talk about the Smothers Brothers because just how important they are. But you know what? I'm going to bring this comedy team to an end right now. Oh, my oh. gosh. It was so much fun. Yeah, this I really was. enjoyed this one. I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> but I'm going to say goodbye to Kelly Thulis. Hello. Or goodbye, Kelly. Oh, goodbye. Hello and goodbye. goodbye Hello again. and goodbye. goodbye. We'll see you next time. And Tom McGallis. Goodbye, and thank you. And this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I hope we don't get canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Worse yet, we're going to get fired. All right, that's it. I'm Dave Schwentz, and you've been listening to What's So Funny. Thank you so much for listening to this episode about the Smothers Brothers. We had a lot of fun. And until we talk again, keep laughing. What's So Funny is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael DeLoya, producer Sarah Wilgroom, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. 
This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.